Canned Air Podcast. This has been great. You know, absolutely killtacular. Talking to all of you guys has been un-frickin'-believable. Podtacular. everyone and welcome to another episode of Can Dare, your tribute to pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. And I am Randy Hardenbrook. And we've got another one of those special episodes for you today. Let me tell you what, I was grinning from ear to ear during this whole thing. I, I, I was so beside myself excited because uh, I'm a big Halo fan. I grew up with Halo mm-hmm. uh, from the first time I played the first one. I was hooked, you know. And I haven't played a couple of the more recent ones because I kind of drifted away from gaming a little bit. But let me tell you what, <laughs> if, if, if I would have put the hours I put into Halo into a PhD... I'd be a doctor, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) For show. But we got the privilege today to welcome voice actor, stage actor, and director Jeff Steitzer to the show, who if you're a Halo fan, you're going to know best as the gentleman who is the god multiplayer announcer who says double kill, triple kill, Kilimanjaro, and stuff like that. (laughs) I could go on, but I'm not going to because he's here. He can do it better than I can, Mm -hmm. so I'll save myself the embarrassment. But very excited to play that conversation for you. But before we do, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CannedAirPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. And if you want to show some support to your favorite podcasters, there's many different ways you can do it. You can leave us a review and your uh, podcast player of choice. Boy, that stuff really helps. It doesn't just pump up our ego. It Mm -hmm. really does help in getting us more exposure. Uh, We have a merch page on our uh, candarepodcast.com. There's a merch tab, rather. There's all kinds of T-shirts, mugs, and stickers, phone cases, all kinds of stuff. No more phone cases. We got rid of those things. No more phone cases, but stickers and other stuff. And there's cool new designs (laughs) on there made by patron Joshua Bellis. There's a Star Wars-themed Candair shirt. There's a TMNT themed Candare shirt and a big thanks to him again yeah very much so he's working on more too so excellent I like this guy yeah I really like this guy guy. Randy you're out (laughs) he's a good old boy (laughs) (laughs) and then we also have our Patreon page which also if you go to candarepodcast.com there's a Patreon button that you can click that'll take you over to that page or you can just search Candare Podcast on Patreon but for five to ten dollars a month get you hours to act uh, excuse me Get you access to hours and hours and hours. It's the Disney Plus of Candare, is what it is. Kind of. Yeah. Candare yeah. Plus, we should start calling yeah. it. Candare Plus. Shit, you brilliant bastards. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? But anyway, there's many ways you can support us right there. So uh, we ask that you at least go check them out. Some cool stuff on there, right? Mm-hmm. Randy, what else we got? So two things. If uh, you have any spooky, scary stories, it's almost that time of year. We want to hear them. We want to get you on the show, have you tell us, scare the shit out of us, you know, or just hang out with us. So yeah. definitely uh, send those our way and check out uh, evergreenpodcast.com. Check out all the great shows and check us out. You won't be able to square me. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, excited to see what else we get in the way of uh, ghost stories or paranormal or UFO or whatever. Uh, we've got some in the barrel for this episode, but want more. Always yeah, want more. 
Well, that's what everyone wants, right? More. Yeah. No yeah. matter what. Hey, let's let's make this a three-episode deal for Halloween. Come Shit, I, w- I would. The whole month of October. Oh, yep. can you imagine? That'd be so cool. Like, yeah, I would. So email us, people. Info at candarepodcast.com. You can either come on the show and tell your story, or, I mean, the less preferred would be us reading your story, but hey, we'll do it. You aren't good it. readers. No, no. <laughs> I saw a gahast. <laughs> gahast. <laughs> I give up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. But all right. Uh, but yeah, if you have a story, shoot us an email at info at candarepodcast.com. And I think, I think that's it, right? Yeah. Yep. So without any further ado, let's just cut right over to our interview with the God multiplayer announcer voice himself, Mr. Jeff Steitzer. Jeff, I want to thank you so much for taking time to be on this show. Your voice has been a constant presence in my life and so many people's lives for so many years. It's an honor to sit here and talk with you. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Good, good. I, I, I honestly, if I had a quarter for every time I heard you say one of your lines into my ear, I could probably comfortably <laughs> buy the four of us like, nice, nice cars. No, no, if I had a quarter for every time you heard me say that, I would be in great shape. That would be wonderful. That's more how the game goes, but I can I can dream, I suppose. But <laughs> Well, anyway, let's just uh, jump back. I want to go back to where uh, your career in the entertainment industry starts, which would have been uh, you're graduating from the University of Northern Iowa, 1975, uh, where you studied theater. What was it that first made you uh, interested in theater and wanted to pursue it? I was a show off. Um, so I, I literally, I mean, it did, it did not take much of anything at all to get me up clowning or singing or anything like that. When I was younger, um, I first started doing plays when I was in junior high school, my friends oh, wow. were doing them. So I thought, Oh, okay, let's do some plays. And it was great. I, I remember the exact moment when the whole thing really fell into place. I was doing a play, God help me called no time for skirts. And it was about the problems that, uh, high school boys and girls have, um, and I played a, uh, a, um, a handyman who knocks himself out and then comes to, and I say something, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I got a huge laugh. And I, to this day, I vividly remember the view from the audience, um, what it was all, and I, it was, I was done. I was done for. Um, I did plays in junior high school. I did plays in high school, and I did plays at both my colleges at the University of Minnesota, where I began my college career. And then after having perhaps a bit too much fun, it was 1970, 71, which was, of course, during all the student protests. And um, I didn't really have a lot of time for class. I mean, I was doing like four plays simultaneously and running around and, you know, just being um, irresponsible. And I eventually switched to the University of Northern Iowa. I thought I've got to get control of myself. And in fact, the best <laughs> thing about going to um, Northern Iowa, besides the lifelong friends I met there, was it kept me off the street oh. for a few years more before I could actually do any damage to myself or anybody else. Um, <laughs> and then in, in 1975, I climbed in my car, said goodbye to my family. It was very dramatic, of course. And I drove to Seattle to see a friend. And that was going to be it. I was going to see her for, I don't know, a week or two. 
and then I was going to drive to the Twin Cities where I fully expected my career would begin. But instead, shortly before I was to leave, she said, uh, there's a company out here called The Empty Space. They got their name from a, a book by a very remarkable man, just passed away, Peter Brook. They're losing a few of their company members. Do you want me to get you an audition? I said, sure, I might as well. I'm going to have to start auditioning sooner or later. Why not? So I was practicing my two um, audition speeches all the way from Iowa to uh, Washington State. I put together a laughable resume. Um, it seems to have disappeared, which is just as well. <laughs> but I went in. I went in for my audition. I I auditioned for the um, artistic director of the theater, the man who founded it, very very wonderful guy named M. Burke Walker, and then he had me come back a week later to audition for the company. And for whatever reason, they said, "Yeah, all right, sure you'll do." And that became my theater career. And in fact, it also became meant began my voiceover career because it was while appearing as an actor at that company that a number of people saw me heard my voice and went "Ooh, we can use you really? there was yeah yeah that was how it started and i mean you know i'm such an idiot i you know i've never really planned anything in my life at all just kind of stumbled into just about everything unbelievably enough and in that particular instance i was performing and there was a fellow in town named greg palmer who was working at a commercial agency that he and a friend of his, Dave Newton, had founded. And he liked working with actors as opposed to voice talent. He did not need Ted Baxter's, you know, unless that was the <laughs> joke. He wanted to have, you know, actors who could do all these very funny commercials he wrote. So I started working with him and I got to know um, the um, fellow who was um, the engineer at the studio where we would do these. And he would start recommending me to other people. And so for a number of years, in addition to the acting I was doing on stage, I was doing commercial work simply because people were you know, made aware of me and they wanted to see me. It's like, um, okay. And then at a certain point, I was running a theater here in Seattle as an artistic director. And I got um, a request to audition for a TV film. And I thought, why not? So I went in and I auditioned for it. I didn't get it. And I knew I wasn't going to get it because um, at the last minute, I'd been in a couple of times, um, an actor walked in. Oh, God, I'm spacing out his name. This is just terrible. Fabulous actor. And the minute I saw him, I thought, oh, well, you know, that's it's not going to happen. And it didn't. But it was fine. So I talked to the uh, casting person. She said, do you have an agent? I said, well, no, I actually don't. Didn't need one up till now. She said, I said, I I've been thinking about it. And there's an agency in town. Um, my ex-wife had been with them. And I thought, well, maybe they'd have me. And she said, oh, yeah, they'd love to get you. She said, but I've got a friend who's starting a boutique agency. Um, and it was a woman named Topa Swobe. And I thought, oh, OK, that's interesting. Didn't think anything more about it. The next morning, 9 a.m., I was awakened by a call from Topa saying, I understand you haven't got an agent. I would love to work with you. Um, can we, when can we get together? We could come in Monday. It was on a Friday. I said, sure. And she said, um, well, in the meantime, do you mind if I send you out for Northern Exposure, the oh, TV wow. show that was filming it that day? And it was like, well, okay. I didn't have a resume photo. I did not have a, an up-to-date resume. You know, I'd had no time to prepare, but it was like, sure, I'll go out and do it. And I did. 
Well, wow. eventually, yeah, I started working with Topo, uh, and it's she's really, really interesting because she came from Los Angeles. She was an actress herself. Her mother was Dorothy McGuire, who was the mother in Swiss Family Robinson, no the kidding. Disney movie. Okay. Yeah, and tons of other films. I mean, you know, The Spiral Staircase and Peyton Place, I think she's in. I mean, you know, the film. Uh, maybe it was TV. I can't remember. Anyway, uh, and... Topo had made some films herself, including The Hot Rock, where she played um, Robert Redford's sister uh, uh, in a caper film that Peter Yates made many, many years ago, before any of you were born, I have no doubt. And, um, <laughs> but she was she was the person I get a call one day saying, you know, it's like you've got an audition out uh, at the Microsoft studios. They're doing a new game. Um, I'm not even sure... I knew what the name of the game was. Nobody knew what it was. I mean, there was no preparation at all. So I drove out there and I auditioned and eventually was asked to be the voice of God. Well, even more incredible was that wasn't what I was told I was originally cast as. Right. I was originally told that I'd been cast as Master Chief. <laughs> and uh, didn't mean anything to me. It's like, okay, sure, why not? What? Yeah. And um, but then all my friends were going in because the first game was at that point almost exclusively local actors. Jen Taylor is local, for instance. I'd known her and, you know, we ended up working together many times in stage work. But I hadn't heard anything. They'd all been in, recorded their stuff. And I called Jen and I said, um, have you been in? And she went, yeah, I'm done. I was like, really? That seems odd. So I got in touch with Topo and I said, would you check into this? She said, I'm on it called me back shortly thereafter. It's like, well, it's good news and bad news. The bad news is that Marty got cold feet about doing this, you know, giving that huge an assignment to somebody whose work he liked, but he just has never worked with you. So he decided to go with some guy he had worked with when Bungie was in Chicago, someone named Steve Downs, you know, <laughs> and we guy. all know how that worked out, don't we? Has been. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> right. But they want you to be the announcer of the game. And I went, announcer that doesn't sound very much fun but um it sure turned out to be so that's kind yeah. of how i ended up you know where i am i'd say you got the better end of that deal i think so well in in some respects um as my friend jay Wineland, who was the sound guy on the very first halo guy said jeff they're gonna hear you more than anybody else in the game yeah yeah which at that point i think might have been true i'm not so sure it's true anymore now that they have other avatars or announcers or something. I don't really know. So, I see. But. Incredible. Well, there's no doubt I've got some Halo questions for you, but before sure. we do that, I wanted to ask you about a role you did uh, seemingly 2006, if not longer, because there's a chance I may have seen you on stage before. I saw in your uh, Wikipedia that you had uh, portrayed Admiral Boom and the bank chairman in Mary Poppins on Broadway. That is true. Now, I it, on Wikipedia, it said 2006. I don't know if that meant just that year, but I no. saw the show with uh, Brooke and her family in like 2007, 2008. Would have I seen if you? It was, if it was 2008, you might have seen me. Um, I was not in the original cast. That was a guy named Mike McCarty. Um, and this is weird. There's apparently a curse on that role. I know of at least two people who've died who played that role. So I'm still sort of looking over my shoulder. But um, I went in for the first actor who created the role and um, took over for a year and a half. And I started in 
2008, early 2008. Oh my and God. Did it again I for think a year I've and seen a half. You. you might have. You might have. I, I, uh, it was very interesting. I almost didn't get the role because unbelievably enough, I wasn't big enough. They wanted, for some reason, Admiral Boom to be huge. Uh, not so much Admiral Boom, the chairman, they wanted to be huge. Right. Mike McCarty was really, really big. And for whatever reason, they thought, well, that's what we need it to be. But um, for whatever reason, um, I, you know, Tom Schumacher saw my audition. He's the head of Disney theatricals. And um, I made him laugh pretty hard <laughs> at something I did. And uh, I got the role. And so what they did was they put me in a fat suit. So mostly that role is what we call moving a costume around stage. There's not a lot to act, really. <laughs> you know, I was signing off stage, but mostly it's like, I know I'm in front of this big front drop because they're changing a big set behind me and I've got to fill the time. So that's primarily what I was doing with that. And uh, then I would run to my costume change. If I was Admiral Boom, which is how I started, right? And I uh -huh. did my first appearance as Boom. Then I would have to run off stage and sometimes very quickly, I would be completely transformed into the bank chairman. And when we did Jolly Holiday, I had a crossover at the beginning of the number just on the street. And I ran backstage and got, you know, completely transformed into this gaudy version of my outfit. And then I had to get out of it just as quickly because I had a crossover at the end of the number when the rain comes and mm. washes away the, the park. Um, it was uh, it was an interesting experience. Um the best part about it were the people. The company was spectacular. They were the nicest, most incredibly talented people um, you could ever hope to work with. Sure. The crews were amazing. Um, it, and it, yeah, many of those people have gone on to do all kinds of things since. It was such an incredible show. It was my first uh, Broadway show I'd ever seen. And wow. um you know, like the part where Bert's upside down dancing on yes. the ceiling or when yes. at the end when Mary, like, you know, she holds up her umbrella and just goes floating over the audience until she just disappeared up in the darkness of the rafters. Oh, really? And it's like while you're sitting there looking for she's already back down on the stage. <laughs> like, it's incredible how fast it was moving and just Broadway's magic. Very, yeah, it, was it is. It is Broadway magic. And um, <laughs> it's fairly hysterical. There were all sorts of things. That's show, I, the, the real show is was backstage. I and bet. it's too, and they actually did, you know, you were, we were allowed to uh, sort of show our friends around and you cannot begin to believe, I mean, what would happen is that some of the scenery, once they were done with it, they would roll it into the wings and then they would very quickly, they would, you know, sort of hook it up to things and it would go up into the air so that, oh, you, wow. you know, had because there was so, you know, these theaters were not built to accommodate necessarily this kind of spectacle. Sure. And as you know, having seen it, I mean, one of the things that we had was a two story house facade that yeah. rolled up and down stage, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, yeah. it was absolutely crazy. And there were more than a few times when the very nice crew people said, Jeff, Jeff, the curtain's coming down. I was like, oh, okay. And I had to move out of the way before I got, <laughs> you know, smashed. Because I had a tendency. I like to hang around backstage and, you know, watch the show. It was so much fun. That's so. Great, great folks worked on that. It was really, really sweet people. 
That's so cool. What a nice little coincidence. I was arguing with Brooke when I found out. I was like, I think it's 2007, and she insisted it's 2008. So I'm going to have to believe her. If it's 2008, then very, very likely I was who you saw. And by then, um, it is conceivable that our Mary and our Bert, the original Mary and Bert that I started with, who were the ones that opened the show, had left to go on tour and uh, were replaced by an amazingly gifted woman named Scarlett Strelan, who was from England. And an Australian fellow, Adam John Fiorentino, both of them could not have been nicer. But a lot of the folks who were in the show were there from the, you know, very beginning all the way to the closing. Wow. Um, a lot of the folks, like, you know, they bought themselves places to live in town and remodeled their country homes and stuff. Getting a Broadway gig is, you know, about as well as you're going to do um, sure. as an actor. So. Now I've got to go find footage. I want to relive it again. It was so cool. <laughs> well, actually, there are. There is uh, footage of some of the stuff. The Step in Time number is actually has been filmed. It's on YouTube. Oh, nice. So you can watch the original cast do that number. I sometimes watch it just to see, you know, familiar faces. But you get right. to see Burt walk across the proscenium arch. And then there are other things. You see a little bit of um, Jolly Holiday and... Uh, Super Cal and you know a lot of that every anything can happen if you let it um, which is pretty silly number but <laughs> unfortunately we weren't that well lit which meant that there was there were many occasions when the actors were misbehaving pretty badly because <laughs> they couldn't be seen you really couldn't tell they one of, one of my roommates my dressing roommates was this um, young actor who was uh, uh, besotted with Cher and he was about to go off on his vacation to Las Vegas to see her sit-down show. And so the night before he was to leave, he decided to do that final number when you can't see us anyway. You know, the lights are on Mary and the two kids and Bert, maybe Bert. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's the big umbrella and we're all dancing around in the dark. And, and he did the whole number of Cher, which we could see <laughs> on stage. But nobody in the audience could. It was like, oh, stop him, stop him. <laughs> it was hard. It was hard. But it sounds like a lot of fun at the same time. It was. It really, really was. No, that was my second Broadway show. The first one was Inherit the Wind with Christopher Plummer and Brian Dennehy. Oh, wow. That was fun. So having worked in so many different mediums, what's the uh, audition, the differences between the auditions for, like, say, a Broadway play or TV, film, voiceover, audiobook, stuff like that? In many ways, no difference whatsoever. I mean, basically, you've got to come prepared and uh, hopefully with your, you know, ready to give them your A game, whatever that might be. Sure. And um, a lot of it depends on what kind of an audition it is. Sometimes they're pretty straightforward, not that tough. Sometimes they're insane. Um, very often there have been auditions where I've been given like 12 pages of copy to read. Wow. I mean, to learn, to memorize acting stuff. Wow. Yeah. And um, maybe a song or two, you know, there's, a, and you have to sing your own song and, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. Mary Poppins was interesting because the first audition, there was a fairly small group of people um, attending it, but the callback, which was the one that counted, there were probably 20 people in this room and a small room that I was, you know, six feet away from doing my audition. And that's a little nerve wracking. Yeah. Uh, with so. film and TV, mostly what would happen is, is that you would, um, do an audition with a casting person they would put something on tape and then you know maybe the director of the episode you know who they were working for that week would see it and then maybe request to see you for a callback 
sometimes there were no callbacks. It was just like, you got it. It's like, oh, okay, great. Wow. Um, yeah, it was wild how some of that stuff would happen. Yeah. It, it, so there were, you know, everything's a little bit different. I mean, auditions are, I think most actors will tell you they're just the worst things in the world because they're so artificial. Um, one of the things that, you know, I, I like about getting the set and the clothes and the lights and everything, you know, is that it, a lot of the work is done for you, obviously, but also you can't see the audience really in most theaters mm. unless you're in the round and you're very close. And then, you know, that might be a different story. Or if you're doing some sort of environmental production where they're like, you know, sitting at your elbow and it's like, <laughs> um, <laughs> a little harder to focus, but for the most part, you don't, but in rehearsal, you know, they're six feet away and they're staring up at, and most of the time people in a rehearsal situation, you know, your director, your, the people who are doing the sets and costumes and stuff, they're all worrying about their end of the stuff, sure. but they always look like they're very like, why did, why were you cast? <laughs> <laughs> I can't see what's going. I mean, that's what you think they're, they're thinking and nobody's laughing, you know, by the time you get around to run throughs because they've all laughed themselves out and everybody starts <laughs> right. to second guess themselves. It's horrible, horrible, especially on stage, you know, with film, it's a very different thing. I mean, you, you know, you get it and you move on and, right. you know, you don't, sometimes they move on before you're ready to move on, but you know, that, that always moves pretty quickly. And I like that. Get it right once and move the frick on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break from the conversation to jump to commercial, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Pit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on! You've already covered uh, the <laughs> fact that you were originally told you were going to be Master Chief, then told you were going to be the multiplayer uh, God voice, which, again, I think you got the better end of that deal. But I was curious, um, when you went in for that audition, the voice that you were putting down for Master Chief, is that the same voice that ended up being the God? Um, Not really, no. I, I don't, I, I would imagine I was kind of doing some sort of a, I mean, probably what I was doing was something very similar to what Steve actually does. But he, you know, I had to kind of affect it a little bit. That's just the way Steve sounds. He's got, you know, one of those voices you go, oh man, what a great, great voice. Right. And by the way, I have to tell you, I only met him about two years ago for the first time. No kidding. He's really? Oh yeah, because we all record everything different, you know, in our individual places. Right. Uh, oh. Different times and stuff. So our paths never crossed. They finally did. And um, he's fabulous. He's a great, great guy. And of course, as I say, Jen Taylor is also just one of my favorite people in the world. So that's all great. Yeah, uh, 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 it was it was an interesting experience auditioning for that. And I don't remember where the voice came from. I have since tried to remember. It's like, well, where, what was I? I, I think it's more likely that it might have been residual because in addition to Master Chief, I read for an alien Oh. And I was sort of doing an alien thing like that. And that got, you know, down in my voice and stuff like that. And I don't know whether or not 
when it came time to do it, it's like, well, let's just see what we're going to do. I did not audition for an announcer role at all. Hmm. That was not one of the things I did. And it's like, so I think on the day, probably I went in there and I started doing all that stuff, you know, blowing my voice and all that kind of stuff. And they were like, great. Okay. Let's, let's lay it all down, which I'm, I can't remember exactly how it, pretty sure it took several days um to do it i do know that by the time we were done my throat was just trash i bet i bet especially going that low in your register but that was going to be one of my questions how many hours it takes to do one of these halo games but it sounds like quite a few no it depends it actually depends um on the game and on sort of you know who you're working with when i was doing it originally with the bungee folks um it was never as long after the first game as it had been for the first game. It was always less work, mostly because I think they had a lot of stuff they could reuse. Although I was always amazed that how many times they would say, all right, let's go ahead and give a, a, a we're going to do double kill. It's like, what do you mean we're going to do double kill? I said double kill. Every <laughs> time we do it, it's like, okay, here's the list. And it's like all the same favorites. Okay. It's like, what was wrong with the takes we did on the previous five games? But that's just the way it works, you know, and it's there's I'm sure there are excellent reasons that I don't need to know about. But it's kind of like, uh. so what happens is it's so bizarre. The way it works is I'm contracted to go in for a four hour session. That's what they do. And I'm paid appropriately for those four hours. When I first went in, we used every second of those four hours. It took that long to get it done. By the time we got to like the second game, it took less time. By the time we got to the third game, it took less time. Really? Um, yeah, it did. Just because, you know, and they were always so funny. They would say, it's like, do you want to hear a recording of what you did last time? And it's like, I don't sure if you need me to hear that. Of course I will. And I listen to it and I go, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, that's about what I remembered. Sure. Not Sounds a problem. Like me. <laughs> and then we go ahead and do it, which was always fine, you know? And right. um, when three, four, three came in originally, we'd booked four hours. And I was at the point where, you know, whenever I had to go in to do like pickups and things like that, I was getting done in an hour. Tops. Wow. Yeah, I was just like, because eh. I could just go, you know, bah, 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 bah. I mean, right. it was, the routine was so clear, which was, you know, fine. And then I was called in for four hours and I had a stack of pages that was probably about, it felt like it was an inch thick. And so I thought, oh, okay, we'll knock this out. And we didn't get past the first page because the person who was producing at that point um, had very specific notions about what they wanted to hear. And for whatever reason, we weren't getting, I mean, it got to the point where he was just giving me line readings and it was like, okay, you know, whatever. And so after we've been there four hours, they said, can you stay? And I was like, no, <laughs> you know, you can practice <laughs> me for four hours. I got to go pick my kids up from school. And they were like, oh, oh, oh. And so they sort of rushed through a few more. And then they brought me in and the next day it went quicker. But um, that was odd. And then afterwards, it kind of sort of it reverted back to moving a little bit quicker. So, for instance, for Infinite, in and out in about an hour and a half, maybe. I also think that might have been I think there were fewer lines in Infinite that I've often had in the past. But I don't, you know, I don't keep track of that kind of stuff all that what an much. awesome gig, man. I think so. You know, yeah. um, I, I, I have no idea how I'm going to be, how long I'll be able to continue doing it. 
Um, I celebrated my 70th birthday last November. Oh, I know wow. I look a lot better, don't you I? got tons of time left. On that teeny tiny screen, I look great to myself. <laughs> but but I, I don't know. You know, it's just one of those things you think, well, um, I, and, I, and, and, you know, there have clearly been moves in the last couple of games to sort of share the announcer job by having other announcers and stuff, none of which was ever explained to me or, or you know, Somewhere somebody said that I'd never I had not been in five. The Halo what? the that's what they said. And it's like, gosh, I sure remember recording a lot of stuff for five. <laughs> so if I wasn't in that game, they must have thrown it all out. Um, but I don't know. You know, it's just one of those things I I just will go in and I have to say the last couple of sessions we did were fabulous. The folks could not have been sweeter, could not have been nicer. Um, like all of you, they started out with the game as fans playing it. And now they're working, you know, for three, four, three, and they get to do it. And I walk wow. in and they, they're way too nice to me. You know, it's like, oh, I listened to you when I was a kid. And it's like, yeah, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I didn't open out that line. 27, <laughs> great. But no, I mean, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. And it's been really, really interesting. I, you know, I, for the longest time, I was sort of un, blissfully unaware that this game had any following at all. I mean, it was just like, well, it didn't affect me particularly. I wasn't, <laughs> you know, part of fan groups or anything like that. And I remember when the third game came out, I'm pretty sure it was the third one. And I saw somewhere an article that said that it had made $175 million in the first day in this country alone. And I went, Oh, I'm not being paid nearly enough. <laughs> this, that's amazing. But I mean, I just had no idea how big it really was. Oh, yeah. And, you know, now over time, I've become much more aware of that. But to a certain extent, um, I think both Jen and Steve have been somewhat more visible presences than right. I have been. So for a long time, people didn't even you know they, they'd walk past me on the street you know if i wasn't doing the voice they wouldn't know who i was right um and that's sort of begun to change a little bit but you know that's fine and it's still incredible because you know again you're the voice that we hear all the time you mm -hmm. know whenever i get a halo game i spend some time with the campaign but then it was yeah. the multiplayer that's, as soon as the campaign's that's, done it's done you don't yeah, go you back, shelf really. it and then you go to multiplayer exactly yeah yeah <laughs> but well, it's interesting because, of course, one of the things they never bothered to tell me anything about really was the story of the games. You know, all those little film sequences with right. Steve and Jen. And, you know, uh, in fact, when I met Steve, he wasn't doing his own motion capture. Somebody else was doing the motion capture for him. He was doing all the vocal stuff. Um, Jen, however, was in one of those little pajama things with the dots all over and right. the hands in her face and the camera and the stuff, which was hysterical you know it's like <laughs> i'm so excited to see you like this this is amazing um but you know that's all stuff that sort of happened without me i would just come i mean literally on i think it might have been the third game i remember i got the lines and it was like zombie killing spree <laughs> wait a minute what? are there zombies in this game and they were like yeah I was like, oh, okay. Well, I didn't know, you know. Still getting paid, right? Okay, let's do it. <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, you know, sure, that's fine. I, it was great. 
Now, of all those different phrases that you've recorded for Halo games over the years, because there's been, I mean, a lot of reoccurring, but also some new ones that come with new games. Were there sure. ever any that you uh, like ad-libbed and that made it into the game? Anything like that? Never. All... No, never no. did. Never did. I don't, I'm not that kind of an actor. Um, <laughs> basically, for one thing, if I did that, I would extend the amount of time I was in the booth. Right. And it's not that I don't like being in a booth, but booths are hot. You'll notice that my door is open <laughs> yeah. in my bedroom booth because it's like it's in the 80s here in the Seattle area and it's it's warm. And, you know, you come in here and you'd have to turn on a fan and that would be noisy. Mm -hmm. And um, so I basically go for about an hour, I think, when I record. And then they say, do you need to take a break? And I usually say, yeah, we probably should. Right. Um, just so I can sit down because I stand to record as well. Oh, wow. Um, right. Yeah, well, because I body English and stuff, you know, <clears throat> I've been doing cameo recordings. And, and the thing that's so interesting, is I thought, you know, nobody's ever seen what I look like when I do these recordings. I, I look pretty ridiculous. You know, I'm controlling, you know, and that's something people are normally spared. They just hear the end result. They don't have to see all the contortions I go through to try and make the sound. But I enjoy the heck yeah. out of it. I mean, see, getting to see the the person that voice is coming through that's been such a part of my life. You know, I, mm -hmm. I've never, I never, I've seen so many of your cameos on YouTube, and I've yeah. never thought, look how silly he looks. I thought, wow, I this think is that. awesome. I think that I just go, oh no. <laughs> but then I, I, you know, I've never, I've done a yeah, a good amount of film and stuff. I, I, I don't like watching myself at all. There's a movie on Netflix right now that I have not yet watched. I'm embarrassed to say. Um, that I had a little teeny tiny part in, and it's just like I don't think I want. I don't know if I want to see myself. Oh, you know, I I saw a still, and it was just like, oh. <laughs> I'm curious to know what's what the movie. So much is. better from the neck up. It's called Metal Lords. Metal Lords. Metal Lords, and it was written and that. produced by DB Weiss. Uh, yeah, he's the guy. The two guys who did Game of Thrones. Oh wow. D.B. Weiss uh, wrote this. It was a it was a, a passion project because I think it, he was a you know metal enthusiast as a kid. He's not that old now, um, and this is kind of based, I think, on his experiences. And um, the young actors who are in it are could not be nicer. One of them is the kid who was in defending what's that thing called? It's on uh, uh, Apple Plus with Chris Evans and. Is it Michelle Dockery defending Jacob? He's the kid from hmm. Defending Jacob. He's also in Knives Out. Oh, uh, yeah. Really, he's the the sort of, you know, snarky kid that somebody is a parent of in that. But they're all really, really, really talented, sweet, sweet kids. Um, I'm a janitor. I'm barely in it. Mostly I'm just looking at them and sort of going... <sighs> You know, <laughs> discuss. That's about it. Score. There, I, I just saved you a it. couple of hours. <laughs> I saw it. It was a good movie. It was fun. I remember you. Well, that's what I understand. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, uh, and the guy who directed it uh, directed Nick and Nora's Ultimate Playlist. Is that what? Yeah, that's what that's called. Yes. Yeah. I forgot about that film. Very talented guy. Very nice people. I love doing film and TV. Again, yeah, I was you say, get it right like, once, and then you move on. The best. <laughs> <laughs> doing eight shows a week not interesting or attractive so much anymore that's a lot of work <laughs> now this this might go right along with uh, what you just said you don't like to uh hear or see yourself on screen or anything but i heard you say in an interview you did 
probably 10, maybe more years ago where you had never sat down and actually played any of the Halo games. Does that still ring true today? No, um, no, I was I was sideswiped. Uh, I was doing a show in um, Utah and I'd never done I'd never played it before just because I did not have an Xbox. And it was funny because when we did the first couple of games, you know, the game would we'd finish the game and I would get this package in the mail and there would be a game cartridge, you know, for the game. And I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? It's like, <laughs> I'd say, are you are, are you going to give me an Xbox? And they were like, no. Like, <laughs> so you're expecting me to buy uh, an Xbox to play the game that I am. Vo- I said, no, I'm do that. I'd already bought my kids a play. I think we had a Nintendo and a PlayStation. We had a couple of systems already. It's like, I, I can't. I'm an actor. I make no money. I can't do it. <laughs> and I'll so use it as a poster. I, I was working in Utah and there was a uh, young fellow there. I think it was part of the intern company. And um, we, you know, had been chatting and getting along, uh, having nice chats and stuff. And he said, say, um, my family wanted to know if you'd like to maybe come to supper one night. And I thought, sure. You know, I was in Utah for quite a long time and there wasn't that much to do. And I thought, yeah, of course, that'd be great. So I went to their house and, you know, we had a lovely evening and we had a nice meal. And at the end of it, they said, hey, do you want to play some Halo? <laughs> and I thought, oh, man. Man, tricky gotcha. bastards. They got me good. Tricky and I bastards. Thought, well, how hard can it be? So I went down into their basement, and one whole wall was the screen. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And then there were like beanbag chairs all across the floor. And there were like, I think, four controllers for the different people playing. It was like, it was serious and like stereo speakers and all this kind of stuff. It was crazy. So I get started and I'm moving my guy along and I made about a half a block and I don't know why I decided to turn the way I did, but I turned into a corner of a building and I couldn't get out at all. So the other players just started shooting me. It's like, what the hell? What are you yeah. doing? Help me. Nope, they killed me. They, oh, killed they set me. you I, up. Yeah. I heard myself say game over met several times um in that game and after a while i was like oh okay that's fine now since then i have taken the trouble to sort of learn a little bit more about how the game is played and uh, i've also learned a little bit more about the story of the game i got the halo encyclopedia so i know what the flood was you know (laughs) among other things and it's fascinating i mean it's really kind of brilliant Mm -hmm. that's Um, the truth what a good story It really is a good story. And we went to, we had a fan convention on Father's Day this past year. I was there with uh, Jen and with Steve. And they asked each of us, you know, what was your favorite game? And Steve said, probably five, because that's where the relationship with Cortana really kind of, you know, dug in and took off and everything. Mm -hmm. And he said it was the first time that Jen and I were actually working together because they would do their stuff separately and then just put Mm -hmm. it together like you would an animated film. You've all seen those stories where people say it's like, yeah, I'm in that film with that guy. I've never met him. You know, I never did meet him. You know, well, that's what that's what it was like for us. Mm -hmm. You might see people, you know, leaving as you were going in. That happened once or twice. But now, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, I think there, you know, I, I and I can understand once I got to know more about what was happening in the story, why that would be because that relationship is really quite remarkable that it is you know they both love it 
Mm, well, they're oh, man. I do too. I I've, I've had the biggest crush on Cortana too. Mm-hmm. It's like, but she's only two inches tall and <laughs> can't even touch. No, her. she's not. I know her. She's not two inches. Tall. Well, <laughs> much larger. Much larger than that. What a treat this has been. Thank you so much for not only being here on the show, but you know, for making myself and every other Halo player feel like a total badass, man. Because it's, yeah, it's, it's your voice that does it. Oh, thank you so much. I really, really, really appreciate it. You know, I say this all the time. It's absolutely true. If it were not for fans of this game, uh, including ones who've been here the whole 20 years that we've been doing this, we wouldn't still be doing it. And I've told you a little bit about the different things I've done. I've done some pretty cool things in my time. But um, this, because of the fans, is easily the best thing I do. It genuinely is. I love it so much. The fans are amazing. Um, so incredibly creative, so just fascinating people. It's a, an honor um, and a joy to get to do this job. So thank you all. No, thank you yep. again, not only for being here, but for all no. the work. No, thank you. no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry up, hang up and say thank you before you can't get back. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Who controls the microphone? We're playing dirty over here. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Jeff. My pleasure. All right. Once again, that was our conversation with Jeff Steitzer. I want to remind everyone to check him out on Instagram at SS Steitzer and on Twitter at Steitzer Jeff and on Cameo. Because let me tell you, if you get on YouTube, you can see a lot of the cameos he's done. But mm-hmm. he's uh, he's got quite a few followers on Cameo. He, they're pretty fun to watch, even nice. though he said he doesn't like watching them, which <laughs> I don't blame him. I, I mean, who wants to watch or hear themselves? We but, don't like watching ourselves on video. No, but we're in a situation like where we either. have to. You know, he can yeah. do his things and leave. We have to edit the stuff, too. So right. it's like we're kind of forced to. But I'm right in that same boat. If I didn't have to, I wouldn't. But big thanks to him for stopping by again. What an amazing uh, talk that was. And it was so cool to, I'm pretty sure I saw him on Broadway. I'm going to have yeah. to check the dates with Brooke again, but I'm almost positive she said 2008. And I saw him in the movie Metal Lords. Yeah. Where'd you see him? I saw him on the show. Hey. <laughs> I guess he got us. Yep. <laughs> all right. Well, with all that behind us, Jack, what do we got on the website? Go to cannedairpodcast.com where you can listen, like, subscribe, follow, become a patron, buy some merch, and if you'd like to be a guest on our show, be- send us an email on our contacts page. Don't quit your day job. There you go. <laughs> and once again, don't forget to find us on Twitter at cannedairpod and on Instagram at canned underscore air. And again, the website Jack, Jack was uh, pumping up, cannedairpodcast.com, has links for our merch page, our Patreon page, so uh, you can support this little humble show here. We're just doing our best to, to squeak along, and mm-hmm. I tell you what, every extra dollar we can get our hands Absolutely. on helps out a lot. So We just give it back to you anyway, and content. Isn't that the truth? Yep. Isn't that the truth? So. And uh, once again, the ghost stories. If you have a a ghost story, it doesn't have to be a ghost story. It can be something just creepy that's happened to you. Uh, Wandered in an abandoned building and get scared by squatters. We want to hear it, people. (laughs) (laughs) We want to hear it. So once again, info at candarepodcast.com. And uh, yeah, shoot them over and we'll get you on the show to to hear those stories. It's a lot of fun. Last year was a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. And uh, what else, Randy? Again, evergreenpodcast.com. There it is. All right. I think that's going to do it for this episode. But uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. And I am Randy Hardenbrook. Be excellent to each other, everyone. Everyone.
parents are mean, so I'm running away from home. Where are you gonna go? I don't know yet, but that'll show them. <laughs> it sure will. Shipwreck! Parents just don't understand, and it gets lonely on the road, so be sure to listen to the Candair podcast. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. This has been a Canned Air production. The Korean War has sadly been known as the Forgotten War, but half a century earlier, the United States was locked in a bloody conflict in Asia that's been all but erased from the history books. Hi, I'm Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio vs. the World, an American history podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. In our newest episode, we speak to experts about the Philippine-American War, America's first Asian counterinsurgency conflict. The heroes, the villains, will discuss President McKinley, Admiral Dewey, the vicious brutality of the fighting and the scandals and war crimes that nearly sunk Theodore Roosevelt's presidency. Check out our show, Ohio vs. the World, on the Evergreen Podcast Network for our new episode about America's most forgotten war. Now back to the show.